You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Land of Legacy Podcast. This is your host, Adam Keith. Matt Dye is also here as well, unfortunately. Ha ha. Ha ha ha. Jerk. Anyway, uh, we've got an exciting week, exciting podcast this week. Um, we've got Willie Urish from Habitat Managers. What is Habitat Managers, you ask? It's a Facebook group. Um, I don't know, 30, 35, 36, I don't know where he's at, 1,000 thousand there's thousand and zeros there's there. lots and lots of guys that all have the same passion that well, i i would assume you and i have if you're listening to this podcast all talking about habitat managing food plots um man we talk about all kinds of stuff on that page and it's a really cool page i've, I've grown to love it um sometimes it's a it's overwhelming the amount of discussions that are going on but it's a great community of of habitat managers that are all like-minded i can't say like-minded we have some good debates on that page which is healthy though yeah that's, it's that's very the healthy benefit of it you get you it's a place to learn it's a place to um just <laughs> do not get off we're we have to share a microphone when we call people and he's trying to get just a little too close and it's a little uncomfortable for me right now but uh, it's a good place for healthy debates and, and just different opinions um, that everyone has. And they come from different regions where they manage different species and, and have different deer herd densities and predator problems. It, it's really cool to get a overarching um, idea of habitat manage- management and how it ranges from place to place. It, yeah. It's I, a really neat. And it's a great place to, you know, we post a picture and say, hey, what do you guys think of this buck? How old? Or what, what do you think's wrong with this buck? And, of course, there's varying opinions almost always, but there's some really good um, really good uh, conversations going on on each post. Um, post a picture of a, of a weed that's coming up in your food plot and ask what is it and how can I control it. Um, a lot of really good stuff on there. So we encourage you to go um, check it out on Facebook and join and, and uh, get in on the conversations. Outside of that, let's go ahead and call up Willie and, and get Willie, started. Willie's the, the the founder. He's the guy who created kind of the mastermind behind um, Habitat Manager's Facebook page, and, and we've got him coming on as the guest. And uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be cool trying to get his background, why he started, what was his goals, and and how maybe it succeeded, or or maybe he's kind of reinvented his goals um, with this page. And uh, let's call him and just talk some habitat and deer hunting. For sure. Here we go. Willie, Willie, where are you?
He's probably getting coffee. Hello. Willie. How you doing? How you doing, guys? We're doing great. Doing excellent. Got Matt here with me. What are you up to today? Uh, work. Work. I've been, I've been traveling a little bit and trying to get some stuff done so I can uh, accomplish a few things on the ground this weekend. Awesome. You know, Matt and I were just kind of giving a brief rundown of Habitat Managers and everything that goes on there. And I don't know how many people you have in that group now. Last time I checked, it was like 34,000, something like that. Um, yeah, but- we just broke. 38,000 today, actually. Oh, wow. Man, I didn't that's know. That's awesome. Now, i got to ask, did you have, when you started Habitat Managers, did you have any idea, uh, like, wh- were you hoping to get a couple of your buddies involved, or were you planning on it getting this big? Well, I I had a hunch that it could be this big. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I didn't, but I had a hunch it could be that big. But the QDMA forum uh, shut down maybe a year ago ish maybe 18 months ago and i had uh been a part of that forum for a while just because um you know it had such a plethora of information there's lots of people that had uh, a whole pile more knowledge than i had and they were willing to share it there and i could get in there and ask questions and uh see what other folks were doing to mix it up uh and improve the properties that uh, my dad and i had and then uh, now i got my own um and it was uh, really a great learning experience. And then uh, a few months ago, QDMA shut it down, and I had uh, everybody's on Facebook, as you folks well know. And I thought, well, I'll just create a page. And then I invited, you know, like a dozen people there who I had met, you know, and that I knew were on the, the forum and knew that it was shutting down and were a little bit bummed out about it. So I created that, but I knew that the Habitat thing obviously was going to be a bigger deal. Uh, I created a Habitat-specific group because, uh, you know, I know a reoccurring theme with you guys is all habitat, all animals, all species. And I wanted to stay a million miles away from the deer hunting thing. Don't get me wrong. If I had one thing I could do the rest of my life, it'd probably be deer hunt. But I've always uh, seemed to find that the better content comes out, the further away you get from the deer hunting thing. Um, so we, I called it Habitat Managers, invited a few folks, and it was uh, interesting, you know, on a small sense for about six months. And last fall, it was like hundreds of requests to join a day. And what happened is it, it's it's a little bit, it was optimized on my end. The, the group was optimized. But what happened is Facebook changed their algorithm uh, to, to promote more groups and a whole pile of groups uh, got bigger. Ours was one of them uh, in our space. Uh, but yeah, it, we had a, a lot of really interesting information, uh, both through deer season and, you know, specifically the first three months of the year, um, a lot of good, you know, habitat work. People are out in the timber, in the field, picking up antlers, uh, doing TSI, hinge cutting, walking their properties. And, uh, there was just a lot of interesting, uh, content questions, videos, and just kind of documentation. Uh, and then it just proliferated from there. You know, it's, it's grown by several hundred members uh, each week, really, probably since last August. Very cool. You know, you brought up an interesting topic. I think, you know, going back in the day when I was in college, I think all hunters, or it seems like all my buddies that were hunters, we were all members of forums. Um, there was like Archery mm-hmm. Talk, Missouri Whitetails, um, other places. But for me, 
your page versus the forums, it's it's night and day. It's so much easier um, to get to. You don't have to remember another password. You don't have to dive in and go through different forum pages to get to it. I mean, you're already on Facebook anyway, and here's somebody asks a question, hey, what kind of weed is this in my food plot? And it pops up on your screen, and you're just like, oh, I know the the name of that. And you write it down there, and that guy knows. He goes, oh, thanks, thanks," uh, and uh, he knows how to control that weed. That's that's what I love about Habitat Manager. So, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's um, it was really a uh, you know the Facebook platform. It's no secret how monstrous it is. And if I would have created it, uh, if I would have created a dedicated site, if I would have done anything uh, off of Facebook, it may or may not have been a success. But as far as the volume of people, uh, it would be nowhere near uh, what yeah, we have definitely. here today. And that's, you know, simply because of the tool on Facebook. And so with that and people that are listening, who can join Habitat Managers? Anybody uh, that has a good attitude, that likes to help others, likes to contribute. Uh, certainly, you know, contributing doesn't necessarily have to mean that you're full of knowledge. Uh, you know, you can look up answers for folks. You can share your experiences. Uh, we actually, one of the things I think that's made uh, the Facebook group more uh, enjoyable than most is that we really do vet people pretty well. Uh, you know, I proved several hundred people this morning early, and, you know, I read their name. I click into their web or their uh, their profile. You can see where they're from. If they have this, you know, huge goal you know as a picture and they're from who who knows where uh it's pretty easy to see that that person is not going to be bringing too much value so we really uh we flush out a lot and you know we really don't put up with much in the group if you're going to be posting pictures of some trinket you have for sale every six hours uh without really um you know engaging other folks you're not going to last very long yeah, um, we, that's, we don't that's like the one thing I rude. love about that page. It's a, it definitely you have a, a vetting uh, process uh, that really kind of yep. slows the, that that uh, exposure down from those people. So there's really, no Oakley sunglasses being for sale. I think everybody knows about that scam on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's right. That's oh. exactly right. Yeah, no, we uh, you know it, it takes a little bit of effort, but the enjoyment, the feedback we get, and the contribution. Uh, is really uh, derived just from that vetting process, I think. And then, you know, like I said, we're it's open season on anybody that's not contributing. Uh, you know, we, we can remove you and get you out of there. Awesome. So just the benefits, I think you ask kind of what, what benefit do you have being a member of that group as a, as a deer hunter or whatever. I think it's amazing that the amount of content that people talk about, and it goes, you know, we you and I talked a couple months ago on the phone, and we talked about how, a lot of our discussion, as you as people would not be surprised, is food plots. But then one day we'll wake up mm-hmm. and some guy's uh, he's covering honeybees, and it's like, oh, let's talk honeybees. That's just uh, it's Absolutely. just something that you can cover. There's all kinds of stuff on there, and and uh, to me, it's just it's there's always a new topic. It seems like I don't know how often people post. It seems like I'm getting alerts on my phone all the time. Um, but it seems like there's a new topic every hour. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's always uh, interesting things that come up. Uh, a strong portion of our members, thankfully, use the search function 
which is, you know, if I have a, uh, if I'm having trouble with mare's tail as an example, and I type that in, uh, you know, you can, Facebook does a good job of filtering all of the posts that have a comment or a post regarding that topic. And you can dive down. You don't have to ask the same question that was asked, you know, three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. You can actually dig into it and, uh, you know, find information. Lots of times there's links to different herbicides or plant profiles, things of that nature. Um, One thing that I'm I'm not sure everybody is aware of, but it's been a great tool for myself, is uh, on the Facebook app, and you go to the the group, there's a search function in the right-hand side. If you hit that search function and then you type in an asterisk uh, and then you hit enter, it funnels all of the posts within about three weeks um, in chronological order. So, you know, like I just did it a few minutes ago and, you know, I think 20 minutes ago a guy posted, you know, asking a question about a weed or a plant profile. And, you know, you just kind of see a a daily flow Ah. of of what's going on. Well, you you just there's something that. You just educated me. I didn't know of that. Um, and, and there's been times where he, my brother's a member of it as well, and he'll call me, hey, did you see that post in Habitat Managers? I'm like, no. And I'll go there, and I'm like scrolling. I'm like, oh, I can't find it, man. There's so much on there. And now, given that, now you just made Easy it a whole lot easier on me. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking actually to a, a, a gentleman last night. He's um, – He's in forestry out of South Carolina, but has got like a year left. And he was talking about, you know, diversifying his kind of knowledge and education and and wanting to um, go out west and do some work as like an intern um, and marking timber in Wyoming. And I guess one of the things I really encouraged him to do was to to change his perspective and get out of his comfort zone from doing that just in South Carolina and going to Wyoming and, and doing that because you're actually going to learn a lot about your home property when you look at different uh, ecosystems, biological nature, and how they you know might work in Wyoming. You can actually kind of relate that back to South Carolina and give yourself a different perspective. And I think that's what Habitat Managers does because basically you're getting information from someone maybe in Pennsylvania or even in Florida, and the way they manage and the way they have to um, – alter their management techniques for those areas is different and i think it's it's very encouraging and and a lot of knowledge is shared through that basis because you're learning different um, processes and maybe it's going to help you on your place just by understanding other people and and things that they have to do and it's going to give you um, just different possibilities um, on your current uh, property I, i think that's really encouraging for people to diversify their knowledge and education yeah, absolutely. I totally agree, Matt. It's, uh, you know, there is a, a guy in, in Alabama, and he was picking up sheds. And I was like, that's very interesting that you're picking up, you know, six, seven, eight sheds in April. That's pretty wild. And he said, it's actually, it's the best time to do it because uh, for their hunting season, you know, the deer holds so late there mm-hmm. and all the crops are standing. He said, but when, once everything's turned over and everything's coming up, uh, he said that they're out in the field and they're easier to spot. Um, but, you know, it, yeah, you just pick up different regional stuff, you know, throughout the country that you're not sure of. You know, there was a guy that he posted a picture of a deer he shot like the first week of February. And everybody's like, what in the world is going on? <laughs> but he was from, you know, down south, maybe Mexico or New Mexico or someplace mm-hmm. like that. And it was, you know, it's totally legal on the up and up, but it was just 
you know, uh, so much of a deviation from what everybody, you know, everybody else's mindset uh, first week of February. Right. It's interesting. Yeah. Adam and I, even when we go to a property, we, we might look at a, a, a portion of timber different or an open field and how that can be utilized. But just, again, like you said, looking at a different perspective from someone's, someone's you know, different eye is really, really helpful um, to really make the best, whether it's a decision on how you're going to manage this food plot or how you're going to manage this timber, you know, diversifying um, that information is, is definitely helpful. Keeping an open mind, yeah, I guess, to different absolutely. techniques as well. And I saw, I think, mm-hmm. if you get on Habitat Managers and you're kind of and you and you get an open mind of different ways of doing things, you can learn a lot from different people that have have done things on there. And to me, you could go watch a show or and and see a certain way and think, okay, that's the way to do it. But then you go read Habitat Manager and you see that there's some trick that some other guy figured out, and you're like, that really saves a lot of time, or that's that's really beneficial. And and just having an open mind on there is you can learn a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, you know, and it goes really, I think it goes back again to Facebook. Uh, you know, everybody has their phone. Everybody has an HD video camera in their pocket. Mm-hmm. Normally everybody has it when they're out there. So they can, they can snap a picture of a food plot of a weed hinge cut. They can, you know, my favorites personally are the videos, right? You know, uh, John O'Brien does a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, on there with videos don higgins i think has shared a few um you know and then people you know hey this is jimmy in texas and this is what my field looks like i don't know what in the heck i'm doing you know but it's two and a half acres you can see my you know my soils you know not very good what what do you suggest you know and there's uh, always seems to be a pile of people uh, that are interested in uh, contributing and kind of steering folks in the right direction it's really no different than a lot of other things in life you you need to get a little bit of context, you know, and then you need to kind of do your own homework because uh, as good as information is there, I'm not here to say that it's all good. There's there's yeah. certainly some morons that, that slip through the cracks, but we try <laughs> to eradicate them as yeah. quickly as possible. And, and that's the thing. You, you want to be able to share valuable information that, you know, that's why, you know, if you read something on there, you know, continue to do research on it. If, if you haven't heard about it or, or whatever, I encourage everyone – listening to go in and, and dive deeper let that be a tool to mm-hmm. to encourage further research into it yeah, so you're confident that that is the right prescription for my timber that's the right thing to do that's the right herbicide to use for um this food plot to get this weed out of there mm-hmm. yeah you know yep. as Absolutely. i said earlier the the open mind it's important that you leave an open mind when it comes to your uh when to the answers of your question too because you're going to probably get several different answers um and then it's i think your job to sort through and they've they've given you you didn't even have a clue where to start and they gave you a starting point you can research their answers and then find what's best for your uh circumstance so um yeah, i just gotta ask you know and everybody go ahead oh go, go ahead. ahead no no i'm just gonna say you know there's there's a full, you know, the habitat continuum is a long, long process. And we have folks, thankfully, that are in all facets of it. But, you know, there's guys that jump on there and say, hey, what's, you know, I just hinge cut my timber. It looks a little interesting now. You know, it's my first time doing it. What can I expect in a couple of years? And, you know, guys jump on there. Here's a picture, you know, of a hickory tree, mm-hmm. you know, that's been hinged for three years. And this is what it looked like a couple of weeks ago. And I was out with my daughter, or, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, because of the phone, it's so dynamic. It's so dynamic. You have those pictures. You don't lose them. You don't have to upload codes. You don't have to do any of that garbage. 
you know, it's just a couple of presses and it's up on the internet, you know, and one other thing that I like about the group is that it's not a page so that nothing is public really to people, right. only folks, you know, so the group is a closed group. So not everybody can get in and to see it. So you can have a Facebook profile. You don't have to, you know, like and, you know, participate on the outer side. You know, there's been older guys that have joined uh, that just want to contribute to the group. You know, they don't want to partake in the time suck that is Facebook on the outer, on, you know, on the rest. They just want to use the page and the group uh, Habitat Managers for, you know, education and information to share. Yeah, for sure. What are some of your favorite? Do you have a, a favorite topic on Habitat Managers? Uh, my, I would say for me, uh, it has to do a lot with timber. Yes. And it has to do a lot with water. Those are my two favorite, uh, particularly because they don't get uh, a lot of interaction. So I have a, my wife and I, we have a, a nice house on a, a about 100 acres here. And uh, we have about a half acre pond that's about 40 yards from our doorstep. And it's filled with catfish and bass and bluegill. And I never have time to fish it. Thankfully, I have some buddies that come and fish it. But it's like there is a whole book of information that I don't have any idea about. You know, what can I plant stuff for fish? I don't know. You know, what's, what are, when's the optimal time to put in brush piles? Uh, you know, am I seeing algae? How do I treat that? There's a lot of, you know, ancillary type stuff uh, that, in my opinion, doesn't get enough uh, attention, you know, for, you know, guys like myself. Um, you know, then erosion, erosion, uh, something that I think is not really hit on that much. Uh, but any, anything that's a little bit on the edge, um, you know, food plots, there's, there's a whole pile of information in there. Uh, food plots that. and aging deer seem to be the top, top dogs. Oh, my gosh. If you, have, if you have any interest in creating an aging deer post, please, please, please take it somewhere else. We're not that interested. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's common, and it's only going to get worse here in the next four or five months. Oh, yeah. There will be piling through here. Yes. <laughs> it, it, mm-hmm. We get asked a lot on our email and personal pages. People send us pictures, and and. I, it's just like, to me, it's very hard. I just saw one this morning where the deer was kind of facing the camera, and it was like, age this deer. And it's like, how, like everything I know about aging deer, I need to see body. How can I do it with with a forward-facing yeah, deer? That's, there's that's, so much. Yeah. There's so much context that you have to have to really, you know, have a guess. Accurate, and, you know, yeah. we all know that. Uh, you can, you know, you can be 90 plus percent sure if you've been there for 2000 days and have 3000 trail camera pictures of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's so hard to, to have somebody ask, you know, unless they got three years of history with them or something like that. Oh, no. Uh, but, you know, on, it's, a, it's also a blessing and a curse both. I mean, we could be uh, bombarded with worse topics for sure. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, I'm not sure that was such a, a paramount concern to folks. And, you know, the fact that people now, uh, you know, they, they're, they're interested and they're asking that question really, I think, is a, is a good thing and, a, you know, a sign of a bright future for deer and deer hunters. To me, I, I love what you just talked on because, you know, t- as you said, 10 years ago, we weren't as concerned about – you didn't see the question about how old is this deer. It was just like, look at this deer. I'm mm-hmm. going to shoot him. And, and uh, to me, that was like – 
now hopefully there's more people talking about habitat and timber stand improvement old field management um, stuff for uh, pollinators and it's like in 10 years from now, are we going to be saying, oh, my goodness, can you imagine Can the people talking on habitat managers about timber stand improvement is just is killing me. They're talking about it so much. Hopefully we get to that point mm-hmm. to where everybody's doing yep. so much habitat work. Mm-hmm. So, yep, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a great thing for folks to be able to share and to learn that type of information because it's, you know, you guys sit on it all the time, but uh, it's so important for for not just deer, but turkeys and rabbits and quail, pheasants, squirrels. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we're walking and we see, you know, bluebirds. And I'm like, you know, freaking out. I think that's so cool, you know, just to, to really uh, take part and notice the other things aside from just the game species that you're focused on. Oh, for sure. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago I was watching a uh, soil health <laughs> video Um and I was coming out of, like, I was watching on my phone, and my wife's watching TV, so I was in the back bedroom, and it was a, a Gabe Brown video, and he was talking about soil health and all the things. And I was, like, coming out, and I was like, honey, li- listen to this. And she's like, are you seriously nerding out over soil right now? And I'm like, yes, I am. <laughs> and I think that's something that I've yeah, seen a little absolutely. bit of talk. Those are my favorite ones on Habitat Managers when people are talking about soil health. Yes. I think that's something that's yes. it's often very overlooked, and I'm excited to see more and more people talking about it and being concerned about it. I had an interesting conversation the other day uh, with a good friend of mine, Eric Long in Ohio, and I was asking him about the differences in soil types and the things that I see in my neighborhood. Uh, I live in western Illinois, and uh, I have mostly timber ground. Um, And then, you know, of course, we have bordering ag fields and things like that. But I said, my neighbors, you know, they don't have anything grown in their fields for six months a year. And here I am, you know, trying to diversify and get, you know, something growing all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, what you're talking about is the difference between soil and dirt. And I had never, that that had never been framed to me like that before. And I thought it was really interesting, you know, to to most people, I think it would be the same. It certainly Mm -hmm. was the same to me. But, you know, he's talking about just dirt life and, you know, what goes on and how, you know, something that's. Uh, engaged, you know, has a lot of nutrients and is always moving and shaking, you know, in the context of soil. And then you have dirt that just sits there. And uh, I don't know, it, it just struck me. It, it really that reminds me, comment that he had. the first time I ever heard that, I was in, I think I was a sophomore in college, maybe a junior in college. And I went into one of my major classes called Soils, had a real uh, monotone, monotone uh, professor. And he comes in, he says, if you learn anything else, in this class, the one thing I want you, the one most important thing to remember is soil is not dirt. Just like that. And it was like, there what is this guy talking about? Because I didn't know the difference, <laughs> but um, I learned that to yeah. that whole class. And, and it is very interesting. I think it's a topic that is is uh, very important to educate yourself on. I think it's hugely Im- mm-hmm. important. And I think, again, there's a, there's a big movement to try and start learning more about soil as we're understanding just how much the foundation of the earth is built on soil um but yesterday we were at a a great event and another thing to just kind of put put things into perspective is that that was shared yesterday at the event is all the diversity everything that you see happening above ground all that diversity 
there's more diversity going on in the soil with microbes and bacteria, everything, root systems, um, more diversity in the soil than above the soil across the entire earth. Yeah. Which is incredible. It's an entire ecosystem that we don't know a lot about and honestly that we don't manage appropriately. Um, and mm-hmm. it's incredible to, to just think about that and, and sit back and say, okay, I got, I got a lot to learn and a lot um, of things I need to change if I'm not treating soil or if I'm treating soil as dirt and not managing it as its own resource mm-hmm. and understanding that everything is coming from soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I certainly don't know enough about it at all. I mean, I'm, I'm at first base in regards to that type of stuff. So I'm, I'm excited to learn about that in the future. For sure. So, Willie, getting off soil, and let's try and get back to uh, – give me a background. Where'd you grow up hunting? What'd you, and uh, I guess that was in Illinois, but how'd you got started? And, and then I guess what led to habitat managers and, and being more of a habitat-minded person? Yeah, well, uh, I grew up uh, in Springfield, Illinois, uh, and I would think I was maybe seven or eight, and my dad saw an ad in uh, a local paper about 40 acres for sale in Brown County, Illinois. It was about an hour and a half away from us at that time, and we went over and walked it and saw deer, and it was just uh, a total, total mind-blowing experience for somebody like myself. I... I grew up dove hunting with dad and going with him when we chased pheasants. And, you know, I've walked up quite a few pheasants and I've sure fetched quite a few doves and finished them off with my pellet gun, things of that nature. Uh, but when dad bought that 40 acres in Brown County, uh, everything really kind of changed. You couldn't keep a fishing pole out of my hands for the first eight years of my life. And then, uh, when he bought that piece of ground, I, I didn't forget about fishing, but I sure had a, a change of heart as far as what I wanted to spend the majority of my time doing. And uh, we then, we leased a, a couple pieces around there and had some permission. And uh, a few years after we had owned it, maybe 10 or 11. Oh. After college, I got a job uh, at the same place that I was working in the summers uh, during, uh, during college. And I scrounged up enough money to buy my first farm. That farm was in Hancock County. It was about about two hours away from where I was living at the time, but it was about 40 minutes away from where my girlfriend was living, uh, now wife. And I had told myself this story that I, I wouldn't hunt it. I wouldn't spend a lot of time over there. I bought it as an investment. And, you know, I, it really wouldn't be uh, something I was on all the time or that really took up a lot of uh, time in my day weeks and months but i put a few cameras out which i should not have done because i immediately got a good number of mature deer over there and that led me to planting food plots and hunting it quite a bit and it really i really grew to love uh, that area over there and my wife uh, had told me or my girlfriend had told me at the time that a job opening came uh, open she's a teacher at the local town. And I said, boy, it would be sure nice if you lived, you know, just a few minutes away. And, you know, then I could try to get up there and maybe move up there and we could, you know, have a nice piece of ground, buy a house, yada, yada, yada. So that happened. She got a job. I had that farm. 
and I moved up there and everything was, you know, normal. We had, we had just got an apartment and we were looking at houses and for no good reason at all, I was uh, online searching for houses one night and a house in 20 acres came up for sale and had this beautiful pond and this big hay field and it was right on this big river and I thought wow that's pretty cool and the price doesn't you know it was certainly expensive but the price didn't seem ridiculous and I thought well I'm just gonna go I'm gonna go over there and look at it so I emailed the realtor and he took us by and we looked through the house and everything was great and the property was nice it was just 20 acres and the realtor said something that I'll never in my life forget he said uh, this is nice. He said, if you're interested, he said, she also has 60 acres that adjoins it. And I thought, oh, that was an expensive comment. So <laughs> I, I love the place, but I never in my life have I been interested in less ground. For whatever reason, the good Lord has always uh, put a drive in me to buy more and more and more ground. So, uh, you know, that, that Hancock County farm that I had at the time was about 60 acres. And I, I wasn't too thrilled about selling 60 acres and buying 20, even though I would have lived there. But that additional 60 that he had, or that the lady had, uh, was pretty intriguing to me. So the next morning, it was August, I put on some pants and boots, and I, about mm, 70, 80 yards into the walk, I picked up a, about an 88-inch antler. Hmm. That was wow. a year old. Wow. And I was like, holy Christmas. You know, I, I knew that that area was a good area, but I didn't know, you know, I don't think anybody expects in August when you're walking fence lines and just scouting a place out to pick up a almost 90-inch piece of bone. And my dad told me later that day, he said, I bet she put it there on purpose. I said, if she did, she was a smart lady. <laughs> I was super, super, super interested. Yeah. So one thing led to another, and uh, we bought that the house in 20 acres with an agreement the following year to buy the additional ground uh that went through like clockwork everything was great but what that lady did was very nice she let me run cameras on it that whole year i had so when we committed to buying the house in 20 acres i had not yet even had my farm up for sale i didn't think it would take that long to sell because it's a, a smaller piece which moves pretty well in our area and it was mostly timber so it wasn't super expensive and I had done a really good job of documenting, uh, you know, all the, I had all the trail camera pictures. I had the species makeup. I had, you know, forester guys there that had, you know, getting a lot of information. And that was, you know, that's something maybe that would be important for your guys as listeners is to really, really store and organize that stuff. That is, you don't understand, but it, it certainly is worth thousands of dollars to be able to put your best marketing foot forward mm -hmm. when you start to sell a property. You know, if I had these, you know, I had 20% of the camera picture saved that I had and, you know, hadn't done, you know, some of the, the, the things on the back end and documented that, uh, I wouldn't have been able to, to sell that farm for how much I sold it for, but it also I don't think would have moved as fast. Right. Um, so fortunately enough, uh, I got all you know, I got everything together and got with the realtor and he sold it. I think it was like seven or 10 days. It was pretty quick. We were really blessed. It was, it was a stressful week to seven days. Uh, right. But anyway, we sold that and we still had 90 days uh, to close on the house. So I ran cameras on that new place that we bought. 
And I was very excited with what I had seen. Um, you know, not being able to hunt a, a piece, but be able to run cameras is still a, a really, really insightful adventure, you know, knowing that you're gonna be able to hunt it the next year. Um, so we moved in and I just, a couple years ago, I bought a, a tractor and been picking up sheds and deer hunting ever since we, uh, we invested in something I think you guys are pretty familiar with, uh, the Buckeye cameras and those talk to our home internet. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty cool. I bought them real affordably online. Some poor guy was getting divorced and his, his wife was selling a whole Buckeye set on eBay. And so I bought them for next to nothing really. Oh, wow. um, but you know, now whenever we're home or away or anything like that, I can always pull them up and check the, check the pictures and it's no additional cost. It just runs off the internet. So there's no data or anything like that. It's all nice. radio frequency. But, nice. um, you know, the being able to live on your own piece is really a, a cool thing. Uh, you know, I took dad turkey hunting this year. And for for me, the ability to, to take the guy that started the whole ball moving. You know, I mean, he, he was the guy that initially bought the farm in Brown. Uh, you know, he's done a lot at this most recent farm for me. And we've, we've really enjoyed success together on his pieces. But for me to be able to take them, you know, on my own piece that I was responsible for, that I paid for, that I planted the plots on, you know, do the management work on, uh, it's pretty rewarding for me. I, I think he feels the same way, uh, but it was, it's really a neat experience, neat experience. That, that we sounds... have, uh, you know, we have used turkey hunters, and uh, I got a buddy in Indiana. His, his daughters shot a few long beards over the years on our piece, and, you know, the ability to give back is pretty cool. I think that's the home run right there. Yeah, that's it. the that's the cherry on top. I think that's that's what makes it all worth it. Um, you, I was just thinking, mm -hmm. I've never, I guess I've hunted on the family farm with Dad. That's about the only place I've ever really hunted with Dad. And thinking about, for me, the goal is to do all the work and get quail to come back, which is what he loved growing up and, and hunting so much. And so it's amazing to think of, of the ability to, to do all the habitat work and have quail and taking quail hunting again that's kind of my life goal is on the farm for when it comes to habitat so yeah i i think that's yeah, that's very absolutely. cool to hear that story yeah how yeah, many it's, uh, uh it's been neat you know my go ahead how many uh hit listers you have showing up so far this year you know i have two so far this year that have shown up um i've been chasing one deer that has one antler he has a goofed up back leg and his left side's not doing much. Um, but he's going to be eight and a half. Wow. I'm almost embarrassed to say that I've, I've been chasing him since he was four and a half, but he keeps eluding me. I see him from the house all the time during deer season, and I had him at 17 yards. I guess it was two years ago now. And antlerless season, I had him at 60 yards, which did me no good. Um, but it's, you know, I, you guys talk about it a lot. It's all about the age. You know, that's that's really what's interested me, uh, really, from the time we started having our own ground and managing it. It's not, uh, you know, a 170-inch three-year-old is super cool, but, you know, a six, five, six, seven-year-old deer that, you know, you've seen, you, you have antlers, you follow them, you get pictures, the whole deal. It's really uh, an enjoyable process. Yeah. frustrating at times for sure <laughs> very frustrating you know I, I hunting on the family farm for me my brother was getting into like quality deer management 
when I was just kind of really starting to deer hunt. So I was hearing my brother preach about we need to pass young bucks, and I hadn't gone through that time frame in my life of shooting young bucks. So I shot a bunch of button bucks, and then it was just like, okay, I guess I'm not going to shoot any young bucks, even though I'm 13 years old or however old I was. <laughs> that last year when I shot that sticker eight buck on the family farm, that was the second antlered buck I'd ever killed there. Um, <laughs> out awesome. of how many years? That's Probably awesome. almost, I don't know, 16, 17 years of hunting there, the second antlered buck. So very frustrating at times. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's Don Higgins says that, um, you know, we should be judged more by what we don't shoot than what we do shoot. That's and I, I kind of believe that, you know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not too exciting, you know, to stack them up for whatever reason. It's, it's more interesting to, to follow them and, you know, kind of play the cat and mouse game with them. Yeah, to, to me, it kind of goes back to even that bluebird comment you were making about just how cool that is. So when you sit back and, and you're passing deer and you're just kind of taking in those moments of, of understanding how your habitat work is done all, you know, allowed you to even see the deer and, and allow it to get to this certain age, um, that's the kind of full circle moments you have when you are when you're begin to pass deer and you're not focused on the kill but, but the experiences that come with habitat management. And, and hunting yeah, as a tradition. I, I totally agree. I totally agree, Matt. The other day, uh, turkey season had just closed, uh, but I was, I had just gotten back. I was on a trip or something. My wife and I were sitting down at the dinner table, and we had hummingbirds in our hummingbird feeder. We had cardinals at the bird feeder. We had long beards in the yard, and then we had uh, a couple of does out in the field past the turkeys. Mm-hmm. And it was like, you know, it was like late May. And it's like, I, you would have thought it was the first week of November. I mean, I was just <laughs> like, this is so awesome. This is like a drill on overload. It's, uh-huh. just, it's so cool, you know, to be able to optimize. And it, it's a lot of, you know, like other things, you know, the more you dig in and the more that you to learn, the more interesting thing is, you know, people talk about oceanfront property and how cool it is. But the people that talk about oceanfront property don't know about diversity in the soil. They don't know about diversity in the timber, food plots. You know, the more you learn, the more it just gets turned up. It's just, you know, it's like watching things in standard definition. Mm-hmm. But then once you develop the, not not necessarily knowledge, but just the curiosity for, you know, the, the timber and the ground, it's just like, you know, I, I, I don't care if I ever see another piece of sand the rest of my life. You know, it's just... <laughs> Right. It's so uh, so invigorating to see so many other different facets, know so little, you know, and just be really curious about everything that goes on. Yeah, curiosity allows you to really understand that, or just take an appreciation for how perfectly designed it was from the beginning. And that, that to me mm-hmm. is just awesome mm-hmm. to sit back and just understand some, you know, not all by any means, some, you know, biological processes, I guess, and just why things happen the way they do. It's like, I don't think it could have been designed any more perfectly. And uh, just to see that mm-hmm. unfold in front of your eyes is, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Totally well, agree. Willie. I have uh, a question for you guys. Uh-oh. If I may, I have I have some questions for you guys. I uh, We have seven acres of food plots here. And I just bought a couple of years ago, I bought a tractor as a three-point hitch, a bucket, and all that stuff. It's an older tractor. But... I I have partnered with a neighbor that lives about a mile away. I help him out with some things, and for my help with him, 
I uh, he lets me use his tractor implements, mm-hmm. which is a, a big deal to me and something that I enjoy. I can't get too excited about spending thousands and thousands of dollars on implements, you know, when I use them, you know, like three days a year. Sure. It's like, how about we split it, you know, and you use them three days a year and I'll use them three days a year and it'll be a, you know, a better financial deal for everybody. But my question is, uh, I know you guys are huge on no-till and I am too, but I don't, I don't know how to optimize it from a dollar standpoint. You know, I have seven tillable acres. Uh, today, you know, you guys might hang up on me when I say this, but we've been uh, turning everything over, you know, and planting it, dragging it. Uh, for sure, we do the cover crops. We try to, you know, we got this year we have corn, beans. We'll put brassicas and mm-hmm. some grains in uh, in the fall. But do you guys have a suggested way to increase the no-till, you know, portion uh, without significant dollar expense? I think there's there's two options, um, and, and it depends on your, your, your local soil and water conservation agency. If they have a no-till drill um, available to rent, we actually um, have got a lot of clients that do that, and um, or they live pretty local to um, that office, or, or they just trailer it over to their property. It's very, very inexpensive um, to rent that. I mean, five to eight bucks an acre. They have acre meters on them. Um, and that's a great option um, if you have that available to you. I will yeah, add that to is that. A good idea. And now, we do have that. Let's hear it. Uh, well, you, you were going to say you do have that. You do have a no-till drill available? We do. The problem was is that I didn't know about it until after I bought my tractor. So my tractor is too small. My tractor, it's a WD-45 um, Alice Chalmers. And okay. And it's, you know, I think... The, they have a great plane. Mm-hmm. I want to say it's like 10 feet or something. It's a monster. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd have to re-up. But, I just, yeah. you know, I do have farmer friends local, and, you know, maybe I just keep the disc on the sideline and pay my neighbor guy to bring his tractor over. I got to mm-hmm. think that the seven acres to plant with that type of equipment would take, like, what, a 40 minutes? I mean, it wouldn't <laughs> yeah. take any time. I no time think. at all. Yeah. So the other option – is using and we've talked about it a little bit in the past as some sort of drag or roller. Now, I will I'll say I understand where you're coming from. You're an Illinois boy. I think I think uh, Illinois people are when their kids are learning how to walk, they're also teaching them to turn the soil. That place is just a big turned up <laughs> thing of dirt <laughs> during is. the fall. It is um, for sure. But I I encourage you to be the the uh, the one guy who goes rogue and tries something different and say let's just say. You know, the first year you're not ready to commit and try it in every food plot. But let's just say you did two or three of your food plots, half of your food plots, you used a drag or roller, and you broadcasted your seed and just rolled it over the top right before rain or a few days before rain and tried to do this without a no-till drill but kind of this no-till type planting and try that and see what happens and just see what the results are um, if you're putting fertilizer down, do the exact same thing throughout the throughout all the food plots, but you just do your normal way with the drill or with the disc, and then you try this new way and see which one how it does. Um, and I would be curious okay. to see what your success rate is. And but f- for this reason, you know, yesterday I posted actually on Habitat Managers Ray Archuleta talking about um, soil health, and I think once you understand soil health. And the benefits of 
no till, no plow, and or you just think of the destruction that goes on. It's almost terrifying to think of dropping a plow or a disc. Matt can back me up on that because we both grew up plowing and disking food plots and doing that, not knowing what we were doing to the soil health. But once you understand what's going on and what healthy soil looks like and the benefits to the environment, it's almost terrifying to think that how many years we've been plowing and destroying the soil. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I understand that, and that is that is something I will look into for sure. Because, you know, it, and to be honest, it still is terrifying to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I still don't enjoy it, but what I have learned here the last few years being at the house is nothing really compares, unfortunately, to corn and beans in late season. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think with what I have available, I think I could broadcast I think I could grow the brassicas. I think I could do the rye and the wheat, you know, and the oats and things like that. But my where my concern would be would be with those grains. The um, larger seeded, you know, yes. Yeah, the larger seeded that, that need, you know, that depth from a planting standpoint. Uh-huh. Um, that's where I, I still get a little hung up. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it is is nerve-wracking going from basically you're, you're going a complete 180 in a planting method. And um, it, it's tough to consider. And, and through a lot of experiments and stuff like that, um, you know, we, we've tried. And, and right now I've, I've got um, a plot of my pla- my parents has got cowpeas, lab lab, and soybeans, and even corn. Um, that was all broadcasted and um, drug. And they're coming up. Um, and and it, just that, that one little experiment, it's a three, three-quarter acre of a food plot. Um, but you know, it's it's still got a great stand. Um, there's of course other other variety of species and stuff in there, but it can be done. But just going from mindset wise, complete 180 is difficult to do. And and there's no there's no doubt, sure, it's preferred that you have you know the one half two inches seed depth. Um, but in the instances you can't get a drill, and your soil management minded. You know, that's a, that's an alternative. But if you can get a drill, if you can get, rent a big enough tractor to run that um, local the county drill, I would I would encourage you to do so. Okay. Sorry, All right. sorry we go. didn't have the complete easy easy uh, 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 the easy way of doing things for you. But that that's our input. I was, I was hoping you were going to say you'd be here. Uh, huh. You know first week of august with the drill and you just trailer up and bring her over i'll be there first week of august if i can be there first week of november (laughs) yeah we'll we'll show you how to shoot that eight and a half year old how about that (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. i tell you what i got a picture of him a couple weeks ago and it is i mean it's just amazing my wife was we were in like this conversation and i pulled up my phone and i checked my camera and he was like 140 yards away from the house oh, wow. in this little uh, little lane. And I was just like, I mean, I was shocked the rest of the night. I was totally useless. It was just like, he's back. <laughs> he's alive. Yeah. He's going to live. He's going to be bigger. Oh, my gosh. It's just like, okay, I'm going to be in this mode until, you know, he drops him in March. Right, it's just, right. It's captivating for sure to chase those old dogs around. Oh, sure is. Sure Here's is. one last question before we let you go. We've got a buck that showed up on one of the properties we hunt. Very interesting character. Um, a lot of spikes just sticking up off his head, and we have three names that we're toying. 
Um, he's in velvet right now. Um, one of the tines is actually almost kind of a cream, like it's almost white. So one idea was white fang. Another one was white velvet. And the last one is Medusa. What's your What's your vote? Medusa. I like Medusa. Medusa caught me. <laughs> That's a good name. All right. Gotcha. All right. We'll put it on the tally cool. um, for sure. So we, We're going to yeah. actually post a, a no, picture of that, that buck here. Um, probably later today or or next week, um, just because it's so incredibly unique um, in its in its antler characteristics. Cool. I think it's a it possibly a pseudo hermaphrodite and um, just really really unique uh, individual deer. So hopefully we'll be we'll be that's after great. as season opens up. Yeah, that's great. I uh, really enjoyed you know what you guys have done here with the podcast, and certainly thank you very much for your contributions to. Habitat managers, you guys have a lot to share, and I certainly appreciate you taking the time to do so. Um, you know, I'm on the road a lot traveling, and uh, podcasts are great to listen to. Well, we really appreciate it, Will, and we thank you for taking the time there, this week to talk with us. Is there any update so. on that turkey gun? Is there any update on that turkey gun? Oh, the one that Was misfired? That or grandpa's turkey oh, gun? Oh, yeah. yeah. Right now, I still I still need to take it to the gunsmith and get uh, firing pins. I think it's the springs in the firing pins that need to be replaced. And I will, I'm going to have it done by next spring um, because it's still a goal of mine. I tell you, that was the most disheartening oh, thing. Oh, I, I get to sit behind him and listen to it click again. But the thing was, we went <laughs> quail hunting. It never misfired, not once. Not once. <laughs> Opening day, and then the next time we had birds and range later that week click click that was so That's frustrating fun. thanks for opening that wound yeah. back up Willie. <laughs> you betcha you betcha you, you just see you had such a good attitude about it adam i just figured that you were right. interested too <laughs> yeah i'm like uh hanging on the mantle i don't ever want to see it in the woods again <laughs> oh Take well, out the pasture. yeah yeah for sure well willie we appreciate it no problem, guys. Have a good one. Take All right, care. Take we'll care. Well, that was fun. That was a good one. Yeah, a lot of so, a lot of great stories. Yeah, you know, that campfire environment where, um, and that that's why you know I think he kind of made the the habitat managers page just to get that environment that conversation going between like minded people, and that's always fun to do. Whether it's deer hunting season or, or you are out managing properties just sharing those um, stories with others is awesome i think you know the whole design of habitat managers is a great resource to as he talked about like the qdma forum shut down and people were looking for a place to go and ask these questions and and talk habitat management and different practices you they're doing on their place and things they're curious about and i think that's what is so awesome about habitat managers and that's why we encourage all the listeners to uh to go check it out go join the group and and uh dive in on the conversations and put your input what's your what's your skilled at or what you know and and share that with others and if you don't have the, that knowledge or you're looking to get that knowledge go and read i know a lot of people are i get the question adam gets it a bunch is what was what's your education what did you learn or, you know, what you study in college? Well, a lot of stuff comes from outside research and staying up late at night and, and reading. Um, and I encourage you, you know, to use that as a resource to get some topics that you're interested in. And then from there, go and research, um, you know, studies and, and just 
credible sources to get that information and learn it. That's it's just another avenue um, to continue your education on hunting strategies, on habitat management, anything really outdoor related. Uh, it's fruit trees, um, food plots to timber management, grasslands, plant ID. Everything's on there. Um, so that's a great resource for that. For sure. I think uh, that was another great podcast. I hope everybody goes and checks out Habitat Managers and uh, joins that group and starts um, reading posts and being in, uh, involved in that in that group. And uh, we'll shoot this podcast. We're, we're coming right up into, man, it's getting almost, uh, guys are really starting to talk food plots, and uh, it's going to be a very uh, busy page in the yes. coming months. Yeah, sure will be. Um, lots of hit list pictures showing up, lots of food plot ideas coming up, and... Uh, so there's going to be all kinds of content on that page. But that pretty much wraps up this week's episode of Land and Legacy Podcast. We thank you guys for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Yep. See you guys. Thanks for Bye. listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you want to see more, check us out at landlegacy.tv or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Take pride in knowing that God has called us in Genesis 2-4 to work and take care of the land. So keeping that in mind... Remember to do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God.